HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today, it's such a pleasure and honor to have Naomi Duguid. It's such an apropos name, too, because you've done such good uh, for Southeast Asian cuisine over the years. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's all been a pleasure for me. You know, it's not uh, it's not uh, charitable work. <laughs> it's, <you> know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's completely self-indulgent. Well, I mean, how did a Canadian find herself in Thailand? Well, how not? I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, the whole... The geopolitics, oh, geopolitics and how things work in the world is what interests me. And I'm curious about how things work generally. How do people live? Where do they live? What do they grow? And so what do they eat? And so whether it's India or Southeast Asia, I mean, that's where you, those questions arise and where you can start to discern some answers because life is more lived in the street. So it's not you know? all just about food. It's never just about <laughs> food. And, and but it, Well, two things. You can't say just ever when you connect it to food, right? Yeah. You and I agree about that, yeah. right? So not just about food. Food is an enormous subject. Within food, there are many things you can explore. And you can use food as a tool to explore many things, right? So, hey, why not? Yeah. Well, I mean, your your initial schooling and work was not in cookbooks. Not this. <laughs> no. no, no, no. Okay, so you're outing me. This is so rude of you, <laughs> I'm saying. Uh, but no, yeah. I Well, I did my undergraduate degree in geography. So there, that's mm, close. Uh, and then, yes, then I did go to law school. Then I did work as a lawyer. Uh, we've, now we've dealt with that, right? We yeah. can move on. Okay. <laughs> move past okay. that, yeah. But, but I've always traveled and and uh, and always sort of poked my nose into things, wanted to understand, you know, there's... There's a geekiness in me, as there is in you, I discern, <laughs> which is because we want to understand how things work and we want to figure it out for ourselves. We don't want anybody to tell us how it works. We want to find out for ourselves. And so 
when you travel, how are you going to enter a place? How are you going to see how things work? Well, I think that's you know? a huge, uh, you know, Food difference. Food is the way. Uh, the difference between being a traveler and a tourist. You know, how, how do you assimilate and how do you become part of that society? And how, and how do you, just even to figure out and appreciate what's going on. And there's lots of ways. I mean, some people find their way in through music, for example, and and they, they listen to local music and they find bars. And, you know, before we went on air, I said to you, what, what your opening theme should be Burmese hip hop. <laughs> I mean, what's wrong with you? Why isn't it? You know, and you said, well, if I could get something. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's on we'll, it's on YouTube. You yeah, know, may, go for Joe, it. Joe, maybe you know. we'll play some Burmese hip hop at the break. Well, we'll work on <laughs> that. You'll see. Yeah, you'll right. see. But uh, yeah, I know you're, you're, you guys are resourceful. <laughs> but um, but another people's way in is through textiles, for example, because with that, they see what's growing and there's cotton. And then suddenly, well, for me, it's food and food is is not a. Uh, it can be a specialist activity, but it's also all of us every day we eat. So that means that I can talk to anybody yeah. about anything, <laughs> and that's that's the my presumption, you know. Do you remember that first trip? Was it to Tibet? Uh, that first trip, gateway city. Oh my 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 first trip. Mm. Oh, that's so difficult. I mean, that really is really <laughs> difficult. I guess uh, I I spent a year living in France when I was 17 and I think that that was sort of like oh right there's a whole huge world out there and and my mother grew up in on a, a homestead in northern British Columbia with no electricity or running water so there was always sort of I was always aware that there were different worlds in the same world you know um, different assumptions and so different strata in any given society let alone all the different societies there are um, and I remember getting to France and, and realizing, oh, wow, you know, I've been dunking my bread in, I don't like crisp very much, I've been dunking my bread in, in coffee or whatever for a long time, and it's legitimate here, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not sort of the embarrassing to the Anglos thing that I would do in Canada, yeah. right? And so, you know, oh, right, there are all sorts of ways to look at the world. So that's, the, and so for me, the, the whole thing is to be curious about what's out there and not to have expectations that it should fit my idea of how it should be. Yeah. Uh, my, I need to fit in with whatever's out there so that I can move within it. So more understood than legitimate. If I'm making sense to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, trying to understand all these things, your first book... Uh, Flatbreads and flavors, which yeah. is the first time I ever heard of chapati, and have been obsessed, uh, oh, obsessed ever oh, since. Good. I'm glad. Um, I mean, how do you, you choose uh, that as a subject, as as a way to explore Greater Southeast Asia? Well, if you're uh, well, flatbreads and flavors, it sort of travels all over. And I was working then with my now ex um, partner, and and you know we were bicycling in Chinese Central Asia, and you know, people are living on flatbreads. It's the staple food. What's more interesting than a staple food? I mean, you could say to me, yeah, okay, but it's kind of dreary because a staple food is always kind of a, a boring one. I mean, it's one with little flavor so people can eat the same thing every day and then ha- add flavors to it. Yeah, but on the other hand, how fascinating is that? That has a, an essential role in everybody's life. Wow. You, yeah. know, that's, you know, that's a turn on. It's not about how what a hit it is. Oh, I, I get the chocolate or something. It's all about how, what the emotional uh, connection is to people. And I think it's that, it's the emotional connection of the food, not what's the best meal you ever ate or what's the best, you know, baguette you ever tasted or, I mean, who cares? It's not about me. It's about what it means for everybody else. I mean, that's the exciting thing. 
I mean, I'm just a, a junkie for, for all of this, you know, for trying to understand. Yeah. You know? So rather than junk food, you're a food junkie. Um, That's it. There you go. <laughs> I mean, and it shows too in Seductions of Rice. It, it's kind of, uh, you know, a book that was focused on a single subject, but explores the idea of that as a vehicle for so many things in life. That's right. Yeah. No, and I, I still think of that book as a sort of joy of cooking for people who are rice eaters because there's all the dishes that go with, right? And this whole notion of there's this whole world of people for whom rice is a heart subject and an essential, unimaginable to have a day without rice, right? Yeah. And then, okay, well, how do they go about that? Well, they eat really interesting (laughs) things with the rice, but the rice is the thing that they, if they haven't eaten rice, even if they've eaten all these other things, if they haven't eaten rice that day, they're hungry because it's, it's a space that, needs to be filled each day you know that's that's pretty special yeah it's like uh, american's dessert stomach uh oh, no i'm not allowed to comment yeah. on american's dessert stomach i'm yeah. a visitor to this country i don't know i don't want anybody to you know no 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 <laughs> whatever you can say that though yeah yeah you yeah let it fall on yeah. my shoulders yeah, yeah, it's completely fine um chronologically working through the books uh then came hot mango. sour salty sweet it was the next one, yeah. yeah. And that was a breakthrough because um, because it was the first four-color book uh, that we worked on. And it's, it, it travels through mainland Southeast Asia from Yunnan down, following the Mekong River. And, uh, I mean, that was, it was such a fabulous thing to, to work on. It came out in 2000. And there, 25 years after the fall of Saigon, we had this discussion about the title. So Hot Sour Salty Sweet was always the working title. We wanted to put the word Mekong in the subhead. And and our fabulous editor, Anne Bramson, who's here in the room with us now, but won't get on a microphone, <laughs> although she might corner. if I poke her hard enough with this. But no, said we can't have Mekong in the title. It's still too sort of sore and inflammatory for America. It's 25 years after the, 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 the end of the war. But what was magic was that it sort of got people, it grabbed them and turned them on to this incredible diversity in, in mainland Southeast Asia. Well, I mean, I think with your other topics, flatbreads, rice, uh, mm-hmm. they are common things. They are analogous yeah, in a lot of yeah. cultures. And so is hot, sour, you know, salty, yeah, yeah. sweet. I mean, yeah. the, the, those things, the, your palate. Gets people. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's just showing that, you know, food can be not debased, but it, it, element. Uh, it can be elemental, yeah. absolutely. And, and it, uh, for me, it's at its most interesting when it's elemental, because then you get actually to, to see it. You know, you know that when the fewer ingredients you have in the recipe, the, more, the less you can hide either of you know, your own, I'm speaking of myself, okay, uh, the less I can hide of my <laughs> own in, incompetence, or if the ingredients are less than good, I can't hide that you know, inferiority of the ingredients if I've only got three three ingredients. I have to be meticulous and attentive. You know, if I have a lot of ingredients, I can kind of fudge it. Yeah. And and that's a way in which people in a lot of places of the world, they're working with basic ingredients and trying to make it taste good and sustainable and interesting to their families every day. Well, that's that's the huge challenge, you know. That's not the sort of going into the big grocery store and, oh, I can buy anything. Well, you know, that's not so thrilling as working with little and making something wonderful. I mean, that that's a great you know, segue to bring us to Burma. Um, this yeah. new cookbook is absolutely fascinating, and uh, it keeps on getting stolen by my fiancé. <laughs> yeah. um, what I find so uh, absurd and kind of revolutionary is that, you know, Burma's on the crossroads of India, uh, as well as China, has a lot of other influences from Vietnam. Long from, border in, with Thailand, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but it's taken such simple little things and sparse, uh, um, you know, outside influences and mix it into their culture or is yeah. their culture. Yeah. And like you said, uh, the best ingredients um, and obviously amazing settings, but it's such simple, straightforward and flavorful food. Yeah, it's really extraordinary. And, and that was the revelation. I went there having, you know, done work, a book on mango called Mangoes and Curry Leaves, so talking about Bangladesh and India and so on, the Indian subcontinent, worked on a book about the outlying areas of China, you know, um, beyond the Great Wall, the, the hot, sour, salty, sweet, Thailand. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know anything really about food in Burma, but I have, I will hopefully at least have eyes to see when I go into the market. I, I'll understand some of the ingredients. And I did. But it was true that I didn't know anything. In other words, I discovered that it, things are done quite differently and it's fabulous the way they're done in Burma but it's not anybody else's it's definitely the food of well the cuisines because there's more than one yeah there's the, the, the cuisines of Burma fantastically interesting I think yeah. most people know uh, Burmese cuisine as crab rangoons at a Chinese fast food Chinese stores you know that little wonton right with fake crab meat and cream cheese but it has nothing wow. to do with Burmese cuisine no, it's, just, not a, it's, somebody, just, it's a great name yeah, yeah it's just Rangoon which yeah, is yeah, uh, yeah. on the what southwest uh, edge of it's the it's 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 towards the south end of the country the country's sort of shaped like a like a kite like a you know a diamond shape then with a long tail down uh, down the Thai, Thai border and Rangoon's near the the bottom tip of the diamond and so it's the, the, near the mouth of the Irrawaddy River and it's the it was the capital and then the generals who were, you know, in authoritarian power until recently and are still in fairly powerful oh, yeah. power. <laughs> but, but now with Aung San Suu Kyi and, uh, and a relaxation of controls, life is improving a lot. But Rangoon is still the principal city. Yeah. And um, it's, it's such an interesting place. And, of course, changing rapidly as well, I mean, progress comes. Burma only gained its independence in what? Like, 47. And mm-hmm. After the Second War, and after the country had been completely wrecked by, you know, it was invaded by the Japanese who made it all the way to the north of the country and pushed into the British, the India, British India, and then got pushed back by the Allies and pushed all the way back down through, well, you have two armies fighting up and down the country. There's nothing much left at the end of it. And that's what the situation was when they got independence. It was sort of like, oh, here, have independence. Yeah, I know we've, we've left you not much, but, yeah. you, know, you know, go forth and prosper. Well, they tried to. And then there was a coup uh, 14 years later. And, and they've had 50 years of, you know, having, trying to keep their dignity and stay okay within the family. But publicly there was a heavy lid on and now the lid's off and there's an environmental movement and there's protests and people are engaging and there's discussions in the tea shop and it's it's the life that was closed inside behind closed doors safely is now also out in the streets and it's so exciting and it's just been 12 months i mean it's only 12 months that they've had this it's amazing you know well on that we're going to take a quick break You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back.
ranch grass-fed beef. Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Naomi Duguid. And we were talking about Burma, this wonderful new cookbook that just came out by Artisan. And Burma is kind of an anomaly uh, in a lot of people's minds uh, as far as Asia goes. Um, it's actually not even called Burma right now. Well, yeah. So um, the in we were talking about before the break about the fact that it had had a you know totalitarian ruler since 1962, and one of the things that they did in 1988 there was there was a demonstrations and so on, and then things got clamped down even more heavily. And one of the things they did was they said, oh well, now we're going to change the name of the country, and it's now Myanmar, M Y A N M A R, and you know, and then they changed Rangoon to Yangon and. They had arguments for it, but it was basically sort of a taking of control. And so um, you're wondering, and people have asked me, well, why not call it Myanmar um, Rivers of Flavor instead of Burma Rivers of Flavor? And there's a couple of reasons. One is Burma's the name that sort of resonates for people because it resonates back uh, over centuries. And anybody who'd read in, who's read any historical stuff or anything about the region, Burma's the thing that connects for them. But the other thing is, you know, that name Myanmar was given by those generals in power, and people in the country were punished if they used the word Burma. I mean, it was a sign of, you know, political transgression. And, you know, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to use a name that that was, you know, was imposed. Yeah. You know, hello, forget it. You know, so, so now actually it's interesting now that the lid has come off a bit. Um, I hear people in Burma saying the word Burma instead of saying the word Myanmar, and I think... Right, because you're now free to say it. I don't mean they're going to go back. I'm just saying it's too oppressive. I couldn't, yeah. <laughs> you know. So, so we had I had a discussion with with Anne. You know, she said, "Well, should we? You know, the New York Times is changing back." And no, 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 not not. We're not doing that. Well, like you said, it pays respect to the people, too, because yeah. the majority of the population uh, are Burmar. And, uh, yeah, exactly. The name is derivative of, of that. Of their, of their yeah, the, the majority population. So, I mean, let's talk about the people, because you said it's a very diverse uh, region. Yeah, I mean, the, technically, there's, I don't remember how many ethnicities there, because there's small fragments of peoples. I mean, it's just like the rest of Southeast Asia, these pockets of, of culture, and then some overlap and merging of people. But the... The, and I only talk about a few of the main peoples. So the Bemar people are in central Burma mostly and down the southern coast, and they're some, somewhat, and there's about 70, 70 to 75% of the population. And then there's Shan people, and people have heard of the Shan, um, and we talked about them a bit in Hot Sour Salty Sweet. And they're a, a Thai people, completely different language and, and different culinary um, Traditions you'll have noticed in there that uh, the Shan use salt rather than fish sauce. Um, they use uh, fermented soybeans, and you can substitute miso instead of you know dried shrimp and and uh, shrimp paste. And um, it's quite different. So there's Shan cooking, and it's very inventive and very appealing to people. Also a great vegetarian kind of um, solution for people. Um, and then there's Kachin food up in the north, and that again, whoa! I, 
I think that was the newest to me was the kachin. I mean, some of the techniques that they use so interesting. Uh, what were some of those techniques? Well, they the kachin are people who lived in the mountains and now are down in the valleys for various reasons. But so traditionally, they didn't have. Um, much oil to cook with. So most of their food is steamed, you know, wrapped in a banana leaf traditionally and steamed. So there's solutions to that. There's um, there's one... Uh, my mouth's watering talking about this. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Anyway, uh, sorry if there's <laughs> spit sounds over the microphone. But uh, there's one, uh, you know, a, a steamed chicken curry and you rub the cut pieces of chicken with, uh, with you know, ginger and garlic and, and chilies. Are you hungry yet? Oh, and yeah. Then, uh, no, I'm going to Burma yeah, yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> and you take, take, the, take the skin off, and, but leave the skin in with it. And then I, the solution I do, absent banana leaves, is, is put it in a bowl and then in a steamer and steam it, you know, heating it with steam. And then the, the chicken skin gives its fat off. Everything is unctuous and bathed, and you get this lovely flavored um, sauce. It's just delicious. But the word steamed isn't very appetizing to people when you think about meat. It's really interesting. I wanted to call this steamed chicken curry. Yeah. And, um, and Anne said, that doesn't sound very good, <laughs> you know. Let's call it kachin chicken curry. Okay, it's yeah. the kachin people. I'm happy with that. But I don't know where that comes from, this notion of bland with steamed. Well, I think it's when the in fact it's that it's succulent. In. But it's, it actually is, if you think about dim sum or anything, there's nothing necessarily planned about that yeah but it's somehow maybe it goes back to horrible british boiled beef or something <laughs> you know so um and then there's another there's a sort of jerky sort of almost pemmican beef dish that's really interesting anyway um and then there's the mon people and they're the original inhabitants of the region and they're the ones who who first received buddhism that came from india and built that huge golden uh, stupa, a big golden temple, Shwedagon in, in Rangoon. Then they got displaced by the Bamar. So they're further south in the country now. All these different things. I mean, there's so much to know. I just feel like such a dilettante to... I mean, this book feels big to me, and yet it's just an introduction. You yeah. know? It's just a... I'm just a beginner trying to say, well... See everybody. See this is very interesting. Come look. Well, you know, I mean, come see. Come you're, try. You're you know? championing it, and you're yes, tour guide trying right. to bring people in there to, to experience. Know, turn people it. Yeah. on. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm completely sold, and I'm coming on your next tour. No, oh, no great, doubt great, about great, it. Great. But you talk about all these different people and uh, in these different regions, and I think a great example is uh, Mohinga, the national dish. Oh, yes. Can you explain what it is and how the iterations uh, differ? So mohinga is a is a noodle dish, and it, people eat it for breakfast, or you eat it in the afternoon as a snack. I, I the mohinga that's served out on the street is really good. You know, it's a street food, but you also can get it in tea shops. Tea shops serve a whole lot of things, not just tea and coffee. And uh, so mohinga is a, a light fish broth usually, and it's served over rice noodles. And um, then there are all sorts of things can be in the broth so so it's kind of like vietnamese pho as sort of yeah. pho-ish it's a it's a it's a relative absolutely yeah. and and they all come from a chinese tradition of rice noodles actually i mean the noodles i think traveled in from china as a technique and the sign of that is that noodle dishes as they are in thailand are eaten with chopsticks everything else is eaten with a with your hands or with a spoon and fork but um and then there's banana stem in it and then there's lovely crispy deep fried things that you can put on top shallots of it. Shallots everywhere. And, right? yeah, and shallots <laughs> everywhere. And, um, and it's, but there's different variants on it depending on which part of the country you're in. So there's regional variations. And I, I, in the manuscript, I had three versions of Mohinga. The recipe's a little long just because you have to explain how to do this. There's various steps. It's not complicated, but. And so, you know, at a certain point, people, um, my editor said, maybe we could 
cut one of these three, you know. I mean, yes, it's so interesting that they're very, but come on, you know. So I cut one. Um, uh, so there's two Mohinga recipes in the book. and uh, But it's really, it's just so interesting to see what appeals to people and what the flavor palette is in different regions, you know. Yeah, I mean, you you say it's a long recipe, but really all it is is setting yourself <laughs> up with a Burmese pantry. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's great because at the beginning of the book you talk about how to make a you know a shallot oil, a chili oil, a garlic oil, um, the palm sugar solution. That's a, yeah. all the street carts. I mean, it's such simple things. Fresh herbs are such an important part. Fresh herbs are fabulous. There's yeah. nothing really complex about the food at all. It's just the way things are assembled. And then the assembling, and that's why the next, the first uh, chapter after the basics chapter is is salads because you just sort of basically once you have your fried shallots and various other things and some chopped roasted peanuts you can take any ingredient cooked chicken or or uh, or cooked green beans or or parboiled greens of any kind and dress them with a little lime juice a little shallot oil some fried shallots and our mouth is watering again you know our <laughs> mouths are watering and and you have this incredible delectable salad yeah. you know one two three go it's sort of a very sophisticated vinaigrette as a way well and the palette and i don't mean uh, uh you know of the mouth yeah, but i mean uh, the the color palette yeah. uh, with the turmeric with all the you know yeah. it's really fun yeah. it's really really fun and 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 there's chilies but not just with a light hand i mean for me i think of all of it as very light-handed all the flavoring is is there's a there's a light-handedness to it that's really interesting well, I mean, uh, something that you don't often see in the U.S. is flour used as a condiment, too. Oh, yeah. And both toasted rice powder um, yeah. and then the, the toasted, toasted chickpea flour. Right. Um, yeah. Is that a textural thing? Is that a flavor thing? I think it's both. You know, toasted rice powder you get in Vietnam. It's called tin there. And in Northeast Thailand and Laos. Um, and that there's a sort of – and toasted chickpea flour, it's the same thing. You get this sort of toasted grain kind of taste, and then you get a little – Slight little texture. It's like when you put very dry, uh, old parmesan on pasta, and you get those little slight granularities. It's sort of that kind of thing that's going on for people. Yeah, you know, you can just no. <laughs> yeah, you can just feel it. Now, yeah. now we're, we're we're a little screwed because there aren't really many Burmese restaurants in the U.S. Yeah, I gather that there's uh, there are Burmese restaurants in Ohio. Uh, I was reading about this, and there's Burmese uh, refugees cooking there. Oh, yeah? Um, and uh, I can't... Aung San Suu Kyi went somewhere sort of unusual, like Indianapolis, too, and I, or somewhere. I can't remember. There's there's pockets of, of Burmese. There's Korean refugees and Shan refugees in North Carolina, I know. There's, a, there's some Burmese restaurants in San Francisco and... Um, you know, around, they've come and gone, too. Yeah, um, I mean, so how do people experience Burma without going to Burma? Is it easy to gather these, you know, ingredients and assemble oh, it yourself? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, go buy Asian shallots and ginger and uh, a little turmeric and and, uh, and and have fun. You know, just, just do it. I mean, it's not, it's really not difficult. Like, it's really, really not difficult. So that actually, I think there are recipes in there that can become those ones you turn to without looking at the recipe because you make them your own you know you turn them into the thing you make them the way you want to make them and you know everything we take something into our kitchen and we make it our own we adapt it a little we think oh i'm going to use lamb in there instead of ground beef or i'm going to oh i like this a little hotter or you know and suddenly we're making our own thing and isn't that wonderful burma in your own kitchen well i mean what burmese uh, uh, flavors and techniques have you put into other dishes 
Well, shallot oil. I mean, shallot oil, you know, you fry, deep, you fry the shallots in quite a depth of oil. I mean, say an inch. And that leaves you, then you drain them. And then they're crispy, delicious, and people steal them from you when you want to <laughs> use them for salad and you discover they're gone, which happens to me all the time. And so, but I then have a jar of shallot oil. So I'll drizzle that on a, on another, on a salad that's got nothing to do with Burmese. Or I'll, I'll just use it as a little flavoring. That's one thing that's really, and I put turmeric, a pinch of turmeric, Anytime I'm heating oil now, I find I just put a pinch of turmeric in. I mean, it's a magic, apart from the fact it's pretty, it's a magic thing. You know, it is all those things that are good for you, like anti-inflammatory and all that. But there's just this pleasure in putting this pinch of turmeric in that kind of gets things started. And that's, that's, that's one of the big reflexes I have from all of this. Well, I mean, I see your face and your eyes light up while you're talking about Burma. And I know you give tours of Thailand. Um, mm-hmm. Are you going to give tours of Burma and I, soon? I'm doing, um, I'm starting this year for the first time, taking people in uh, sort of an eating tour of Burma, a food tour is what I'm calling it. You know, eating is a bit, is what I do, but anyway, <laughs> a food tour of Burma. Uh, not that we won't go to Shwedagon and some other sites, but really to see, to enter it through the food. So go to markets, taste things, eat street food, go out and about. So it's it's eight days, Rangoon to Rangoon kind of thing, in early February, Um and uh, it's going to be fun, and tourism is young in Burma, so there will be the odd bump in the road, I'm sure. But, you know, that's what travel is, really. And, um, and, and not rushing around. We'll just go to Rangoon and Bagan, where the ruins are, and then Inle Lake. And, and I just hope, you know, it gives people a, a sense of, whoa, there's a lot more to find out. Let me, let yeah. me come back. Well, uh, someone affectionately called you a chronicler. And I think you're so much more than that because this is both an ode to an anthropological study. Um, and like you said, it's just the beginning. And I'm so excited to learn more and dig deeper and travel to Burma. Uh, Great. Well, well, come next year. Okay. Well, well, good. I'm there. Jack, I won't be here in February of 13 because I'll be in Burma. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for being on. Love to have you on again. And as many, sh- you're on a show tomorrow, actually, too. Right. So, yeah. Naomi Week on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. A, a pleasure for me. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you again. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. So